Maybe you don't wonder that, but I do sometimes. Um, <laughs> um, I, as you can see, I am really excited to be here this morning and really excited to get up here and share this message with you. Uh, before I get into that, I want to just show you something. You may have seen these mysterious little cards in your little uh, directory that you fill out. I hope you've seen them. If not, this little blue card is a prayer request card. And we want to make sure that if you have a need, that we know about it and that we can pray with you and carry that burden with you. So those are not decoration, all right? Fill one of those out. Um, give it to me. Give it to uh, one of our elders. Give it, uh, drop it in the offering box. Make sure that somebody gets a hold of this thing if you have a need uh, so that we know about it and we can... Um, we can pray for you if you're going to the hospital or a member of your family is going into the hospital and you would like one of us to come down and be with you during that time. Let us know that. If we don't know, we it's unlikely we will be there. <laughs> okay, so uh, just a word of encouragement on that. We want to be a praying church, okay? Uh, Jim didn't tell you this, but all the really spiritual people will be there on Tuesday, all right? <laughs> uh, okay. Um, or the really needy people, one or the other, okay? Um, I will be there. Uh, I don't know which category I fit in, but uh, you decide. But seriously, we want to pray for you. We want to hold you up before the Lord, and, um, and that will help us do that uh, more effectively if you will let us know what's going on in your life that we can carry your burden with you on. Okay, uh, I'm Joe, by the way, if you're visiting with us, uh, I'm the pastor here, or one of the pastors here, and, uh, and we have been talking about, um, for the last, we started back in July, you may not remember this, um, but if you clear away the cobwebs, you remember that back in July, we started going through, uh, on Sunday morning, uh, the elders and I spent a lot of time developing a, a vision statement for our church. What do we want our church to be? In other words, when we're done here uh, with everything that we um, want to do together, what do we want us as people to look like? What do we want to be when we grow up, right? Uh, when you're a kid, your parents ask you that or other people ask you that. What do you want to be when you grow up? And a lot of people say things like, well, I want to be an engineer or I want to be an airborne ranger and live a life of danger and all that. But um, I want to be something, right? And usually people have in mind a job. But when we're talking about what do we want to be as a church, we, we have a, a biblical description in mind of some characteristics that we want to be there in everybody's life. Uh, and we, we said we want to be a loving community of people who worship God, walk daily with Christ, serve one another with their spiritual gifts, and build evangelistic friendships with those who don't yet know Christ. All right? We want to be the kind of people who do those things, who are those things. And so we started... Um, Back in July of last year, we looked at the prophet Malachi. We spent several weeks doing that, and we looked at what is the... When we talk about we want to be a, a loving community who worships God, what does it mean to worship God? You have to define your terms, right? What does worship look like? What's it mean to worship God? And then in September, we picked up and we um, talked about evangelism. 
What does it mean to build evangelistic friendships with people who, uh, who don't know God? And we put that poster up on the wall. Uh, and we, we encourage all of you to uh, get one of these little bookmarks. There are still some out there on the table, if you don't have one, of people that you know who don't know Christ and to pray for them and to pray that God would give you opportunities to share about Jesus Christ and what he has done for you in your life, as Ben shared with us this morning, uh, what Jesus had done for him in his life, and then to give you boldness to take the opportunities that God gives, right? That's Colossians 4, 3, and 4, two verses you ought to memorize on evangelism, right? Pray for us that God would open doors for our message and pray for me that you that God would give me boldness to proclaim it as I should, right? Um, and we, uh, we went through that. And then we went through, um, uh, we finished out 2008 by talking about what does it mean to be a loving community? You know, we all, we all talk about that. What's it mean to be a loving community? Uh, we, we think of ourselves as being a loving community. What biblically does a loving community look like? And so we talked about things like dealing with sin and about forgiveness and about encouragement, and about um, humility, and these kinds of things, right? That if we're going to be a loving community, these are the kinds of things that ought to characterize us, humility and forgiveness and the ability to confront sin with grace and truth, and the ability to encourage one another and to carry one another's burdens and to practice those other one another commands of the Scripture, right? And so we looked at that. And here, since the first of the year, we have been spending time talking about this aspect of walking daily with Christ, right? And we've talked about the spiritual disciplines, about fasting, about simplicity and celebration and Bible study and prayer. And um, I gave what, uh, what Gary McCullough called the Sermon on the Amount, okay, uh, which I thought was a good title, um, uh, about uh, recognizing when your stuff has you rather than the other way around and getting freedom from the tyranny of stuff so that you can serve the Lord. And here last week we talked about fasting. And um, some of you might want to join us on Tuesday and fast from a little sleep so you can pray and lift up the needs of the other believers here in church. Um, and th- this week and next week, um, we're going to spend two weeks talking about spiritual gifts and about uh, how we're to be a community of people who, to, who serve one another using their spiritual gifts, whatever they are. And we're going to look at Romans 12 this week. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 next week. Uh, they're basically four big passages that talk about uh, spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Romans 12 is one. We're going to look at that today. 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is the other major, major one. And then you've got Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. Uh, we looked at uh, Ephesians 4 last fall. We looked at 1 Peter 4 last, uh, last spring. And so now we're going to do Romans and Corinthians in the next two weeks, right? Um, and so... Uh, and then we're going to head into the book of Acts. We're going to spend about six months in the book of Acts uh, and look at how the church carried out in their early days its mission of, of sharing the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth to even include you and I 
on the other side of the world from where Paul was writing, right? And how that, how that has implications for us as well. And so we're going to spend probably at least 28 weeks doing that. Acts is 28 chapters. You do a chapter a week, you're there for the duration, right? Um, so it'll be fun, and that'll be exciting. But today we want to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. So if you have your Bible and you can get there, uh, follow along as I read. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, this is one, th- these, uh, these verses are one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I even have a few of these verses memorized. You probably do too, the first couple, right? I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God right? Um, uh, Memorized in a different translation than I just read to you. But this is really cool. If you want to find out what God's will for your life is, this is a passage that tells you how to do that. What could be cooler than that, right? Look at these first couple of verses with me here. Um, He starts off in verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore. Now, uh, I don't really like that translation real well uh, because I appeal to you makes it sound like this is optional. Um, and that is not the intent or the, the, the context through which Paul is, is trying to... Um, it's not really the way he's trying to communicate. Okay, The word means something like that. But Paul means something a little stronger than that. He's not saying, I think it would be best if you did this. I think this would be preferable. Uh, He's saying, you need to do this. (laughs) And he's trying to be as nice about it as possible. (laughs) And so he says, I appeal to you. This is something that we all need to do. And he says, present your bodies as spiritual sacrifices. Uh, and this is what God's will for you is. If you want to know, hey, what is God's will for me, underline this. This is God's will for you. Okay, this is one of the places where it tells you explicitly. You want to know what God's will is for your life? This is it. All right? Um, and he says, uh, by the mercies of God. Now, what's he mean by the mercies of God? Uh, what he's doing is he's giving a reason why you should do this. Um, in other words, because of God's great mercy, you should do this. Now, 
we, he's just spent 11 chapters talking about the grace and the mercy and the righteousness of God and how God in his mercy has saved sinners through Jesus Christ. And we don't have time to go through the ele- other 11 chapters today. Someday we will do that uh, because I, I have a, just a, a desire to teach through the entire Bible with you all. Um, and someday we'll get to Romans, and we'll have a lot of fun there. Uh, and we'll spend those 11 chapters, but not today. What he means is, is look, there are, there are no words adequate to describe the marvelous mercy of God. But I've been giving you instruction about it for 11 chapters. Most books in the New Testament, uh, you can pretty well divide them in half. You know, Ephesians, uh, the first three chapters are the theological section that have to do with your identity in Christ. And, and the last three chapters are, your, are the, uh, what's sometimes called the practical section. But what they mean by that is, this is, because you know this, this is how you should act. This is how you should behave. Uh, Paul has spent 11 chapters talking about the mercy and grace and wonderfulness of God. And he's going to only spend four chapters at the end, 12 through uh, 16, uh, saying, now that you know this, this is how you should live, right? Uh, and he's saying this because the major thrust of Romans is the grace and mercy of God, that we should receive the righteousness of God on the basis of grace, not by works of the law, right? That's the point of Romans, the whole point of the whole book, is that God has been wonderfully merciful to us, and therefore we should live in a way that honors Him. Um, God, what God has done gives us the reason why we should do what we do. Out of appreciation, out of love, out of a demonstration of, the, of a recognition that we belong to God and that He has saved us and not we ourselves. And Paul says what you're to do is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And what he means is, is that because Jesus loved us so much that he offered up himself as a sacrifice entirely for us, we should offer up our entire selves as a sacrifice to him. Uh, and I don't want you to be distracted or, or confused by the fact that, that he uses the word body there. He doesn't have in mind just your body, just the flesh and bone part of you, and not your immaterial part, not your inner man or your inner person. He's, when he says present your bodies, he's not just saying, well, it's okay if you just give God the fleshly part of you, but your spirit can remain independent and rebellious against God. <laughs> okay, that is the furthest thing from Paul's mind. He's saying offer up your entire self. Um, notice how Paul describes that sacrifice. He says it's a living sacrifice, first of all, and it's holy and acceptable to God. Now, if you look at that and you understand your Old Testament, when the, in the Old Testament when the priests made sacrifice for the people, there were three things that needed to be true. It needed to be, first of all, a live animal. Right? You couldn't bring an animal that you uh, had found like dropped over dead in the stall. Right? You couldn't, if you found one of your sheep that the coyotes had eaten, 
oh, I know, I'll offer this to God. No, you can't do that. It has to be a live animal, right? And then on top of that, it had to be holy. Uh, and, what, and what I mean by that is, is it had to be perfect in every way. It had to be, as uh, Leviticus says, without blemish or defect. It couldn't have a rubbed spot on the skin where, there, you know, where it was just bare and there was no hide there. Uh, you couldn't have, it couldn't be diseased. It couldn't be crippled. It couldn't have, it couldn't be, you know, have tattered ears. Um, couldn't have six legs, you know. I mean, it couldn't have defects that are not supposed to be there in any way. It had to be a one-year-old male uh, without blemish or defect. It had to be the best of your flock. The best that you had was all that would, would work. It had to be holy to the Lord. And then, it had, and then if you offered the best of your flock that was live when you offered it, then it was what was called a pleasing aroma, an acceptable sacrifice before God. And so Paul is explicitly tying the Old Testament sacrifice to you and I. Only guess who the lamb is? You and I. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and unlike, unlike you know, the lamb that was sacrificed, uh, where the lamb is killed, you are still alive after you offer yourself as a sacrifice, but you are to consider yourself dead. Does everybody understand what I mean by that? In other words, guess who has your life after you offer it as a sacrifice to God? God does. Guess who does not have your life? You. You used to have a life before you came to Christ. But your life is no longer yours. It now belongs to God. And, and that's what Paul means when he says you offer yourself or your body as a sacrifice, is that your life now belongs to God. And you are to treat yourself and make your decisions based on the fact that you belong to God and that you're not your own anymore. You are not independent of God, therefore you need to live as if you're not independent of God. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Uh, we might live, but we count ourselves dead to everything but serving Christ. Now, in the last part of the verse, there's a little interpretive problem here. Um, uh, my translation in uh, of verse 1, the end of it, says, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, other translations render that uh, which is your reasonable act of, uh, of service or reasonable service of worship or something along those lines. Uh, and there's a, that's based on a not uh, uncertainty in terms of interpreters as to which way that word should be rendered. I take it, uh, against my translation, I take it as reasonable, okay? Uh, and what, because I think what Paul is trying to say is, is since Jesus has offered so much for you, isn't it reasonable that you would offer yourself for him? It's a good question, right? 
Doesn't it make sense, in other words, that if the God of the universe became incarnate to die on a cross so that you could be forgiven, you, a creature, let's remember, who God made out of dirt, and if he would sacrifice himself for you, isn't it reasonable to expect that you would sacrifice yourself for him? Someone who has given you a great gift has a right, in some sense, to expect appreciation. And when it's God who is offering himself as a sacrifice for you and for me, that we might have not only forgiveness of sin, but be adopted into the very family of God and to be given not as an earning, but as a gift, a home in his presence in heaven for eternity, wouldn't it make sense that you would offer yourself and your life in return to him? Because it's all you have. Uh, that's what he's saying, okay? Uh, how could you do any less than to offer yourself completely to the one who offered himself completely for you? Uh, verse 2, Paul explains, starts explaining what he means by this, okay? He says, he talks about two kinds of change. He talks about conforming change and transforming change. He says, don't be conformed to this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, uh, how many of you women have a bunt pan in your house? Okay, a, bu a bunt pan. Uh, how about a brownie pan? Any of you have a brownie pan? All right, raise your hand. Okay. Um, how about uh, how about a biscuit cutter or a cookie cutter of some kind? All right. Top of a glass if you're at our house. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, that when you when you do that. You know, you take that cake mix, right, and you pour it into the bunt pan or into the brownie pan, if you're making brownies, um, and you put it under heat, and the pan supplies a little bit of pressure to hold it into a certain form, right? When you do your bunt cake, you can flip that sucker over, and it, you know, makes a train or whatever, you know, um, and... Um, and you and you and it's because it's been conformed to the mold, been transformed. It's been conformed to the shape under heat and pressure of that mold, right? And the world that is out there is controlled by the devil, and it seeks to apply heat and pressure to your life to conform you to the shape it wants you to take on wants you to live and speak and act just exactly like everybody else. In fact, uh, maybe a, a better example would be uh, the ancient process that they used to make coins, which is still, by the way, the process that they used to make coins. You have a die that has two sides to it, and you put a sheet of soft metal in between, and then you push the die down, and under enormous pressure squeezes down into there, and it cuts out the image that you see so that you have an eagle on the back and walking liberty on the front, right? Or George Washington's head on one side and uh, an eagle on the back, or Abraham Lincoln's head and the Lincoln Memorial on the back, 
right? That thing has been squeezed down and cut out. And the world wants you to squeeze you down and cut you out so that you look just like every other dead fish floating downstream. And Paul says, we don't want you to do that because we want you to, to offer your life as a sacrifice to God and not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Instead, we want you to be transformed. Now, transforming change, this is the word metamorpho. Uh, it's a word, we get our word for metamorphosis on. And this is more like, this is not squeezed into a mold kind of change. Uh, this is kind of like what happens when a, a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and comes out a butterfly, where what comes out bears very little resemblance to what went in. Now, if you take a caterpillar and you stick it in a butterfly mold and whack it like that, <laughs> are you going to get a butterfly? No. <laughs> okay. You're going to get kind of vaguely butterfly-shaped yellow goo, <laughs> right? Um, something has to happen on the inside of that thing that transforms it from the inside out to where it takes on a different outward form. And the same thing is true with you and I. Something has to happen on the inside of us that changes us in such a way that we take on a different outward form. And that thing is, that happens to us is our faith in Christ in his death on the cross and his resurrection. And as that works itself out in our life, we take on a different outward look than everybody else. To where we are not a six-inch long green worm anymore. Uh, now we're this beautiful creature that has totally different attributes than everything else. We've been transformed. And he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What you think determines what you become. Always. Whatever your operational theology is, and that's why theology is so important, by the way. Whatever you believe determines what you become. What you think is what you are. And as your mind is renewed by the Spirit of God and by the intake of the, of the uh, written word of the Scripture into your life, and you begin to take on biblical patterns of thinking, that change works itself out in your life as you begin to be transformed as your mind is renewed. All right. Um, Paul says, don't be conformed to the world's way of thinking and being, but be transformed in your mind so that you can know and obey God's will. He says, as you do this, you will understand what God's will is. And you will see uh, God's commands from his perspective, that God's commands are good and pleasing and perfect. Right? Now, um, verses 3 to 5 here, we want to talk about being the body uh, beginning of verse 3, Paul carries on uh, this, this idea of what it means to have a transformed or renewed mind. And he explains that a little more clearly. He says that, that having a transformed mind begins with having a humble, appropriate view of yourself. It doesn't mean you have to be uh, continually going around going, well, I'm no good, I'm lousy, I'm horrible, whatever. Okay, no. He says, think of yourself with sober judgment. Think of your, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think of yourself from God's perspective. Um, and re recognize, it says, 
each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Uh, in other words, all of us have a certain quantity of faith. And Paul says, uh, remember, that comes to you as a gift from God. And so think of yourself according to the, the fact that God gave you this gift. Um, it's not something you've developed on your own. And it's because apparently there are people in the Roman church that somehow think that their role in the church makes them exceptional people rather than people who have received exceptional gifts. You know, aren't I great? I'm a prophet. Or aren't I great? I'm a teacher. Aren't I great? I'm a leader. Well, where did that come from? It didn't come from you. It isn't because of your wonderful specialness. It's because of God and His wonderful specialness who gave you that gift. And so don't think of yourself more highly than you should. And and to clear up their confusion, he, he, he uses his most common analogy for the church, which is as a body. He says the church is like a body. Uh, it has many parts or many members, and the members don't all have the same function, right? Your fingers don't have the same function as your toes, uh, unless you're like one of those people that's got those kind of weird toes you can peel oranges with. Um, you know, uh, you don't all have the same, they don't all have the same functions, Right? Uh, your tongue doesn't have the same function as your ears. Your eyes don't have the same function as your nose. Uh, your skin doesn't have the same function as your liver. All of the different parts of your body all work together to accomplish a common objective, but they're not all interchangeable parts. They have a, there's a unity to your body, but there's also diversity in how it functions and how each part plays its role. And... And that is uh, Paul's, that's why it's Paul's primary metaphor for the church, is that there is tremendous uh, diversity as well as a unity. Uh, there is equality, but there's not interchangeability. You understand what I'm saying by that? Just because we are equal and we have the same status together in Christ does not make us interchangeable. Even on my elder board, where I'm privileged to serve with some great men, we do not all have the same gifts and abilities. Even though to be on that elder board is to have a leadership gift, to be on that elder board is to have a certain set of commitments personally to evangelism and to discipleship uh, and to having a gift of leadership that you're exercising. We are not all interchangeable um, even on the same on the same team, you, you're not all interchangeable. Everybody has a diversity of gifts, and all are necessary to function. Uh, one body, many parts. Everybody has a role to play, and everybody needs to play it. Um, now, let's look at some of the gifts here. We're running out of time, but we're, this is important stuff, and I want you all to see this. Uh, uh, verses 6 to 8, it says that God, these are some of the gifts that God gave the church. Now, these are, I believe, just examples. I don't believe these are intended to be a comprehensive list. If you look at the other passages uh, that have to do with spiritual gifts, you get different gifts that are listed. And I think Paul is just saying, look, here's an illustration of some of the gifts that are, that are there and how they should be used. He says, 
Use them in proportion to your faith because you have been given different gifts um, according to the, to the grace that God has given you, uh, and use them in proportion to your faith. So prophecy, I believe, that's the first one that's mentioned, it's the ability to speak uh, spontaneously the revelation of God into a particular situation. Uh, it's a miraculous ability. It's not one that comes about through study, you know, where if you really study the Bible, all of a sudden you'll be able to prophesy. I don't think that will happen. Uh, this is a miraculous ability that's been given to a relatively few people. Um, my personal conviction is that the gift of prophecy probably dies out with the apostles. Okay? Other people have different takes on that. Um, but regardless, there's, a, there's an ability to speak spontaneously through the revelation of God, through the Holy Spirit in your life, that you are able to say, this is what is going to happen, and it comes to pass. Or this is God's will, and, it, and have it um, be the course of action that you follow. Like Agabus in the book of Acts, we'll see him in a, a couple of times in the book, tell Paul, this is what's going to happen to you. And that's what happens. Um, it's, uh, and by the way, whenever the prophet and the scriptures are in conflict, the prophet is to be disregarded, not the Bible. Okay? Uh, in fact, that's a biblical standard. Unless what the prophet says is 100% true, you don't listen to what he has to say. All right? Uh, and he says, and Paul says, use it in proportion to your faith. And by that, I think he means that, you know, the temptation, if you have the gift of prophecy, is to start uh, flowering it up or to start saying things maybe that God hasn't revealed to you. And he says, use it in proportion to your faith. Keep it limited to what God has actually spoken. Uh, service is the gift of meeting needs, and it has to do with material and physical things that have to be done. Uh, so it's things like setting up chairs and cutting grass and sending out mailings and regulating the thermostat and making food for people who are in need and decorating and organizing and these kinds of things that, that are the kind of the mechanical, this has to happen in order for every, every other ministry in the church to function there are some very practical needs that need to be met, and that's a service gift. If you're one of those people, that's the gift that you have. Uh, teaching is the gift of God's of explaining God's Word to other people, and it's a gift that develops through study and through doing it. And if you're a teacher, uh, you, you have to study and learn your subject. It's not something that comes to you spontaneously, like, you know, I'm going to fall asleep on my Bible, and I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to be able to teach Romans. Okay, no, you're going to have to study Romans, and then you're going to explain it to people in a Sunday school class or up here in the pulpit or, or at a small group in another context. Uh, that's a teaching gift. Uh, what you are doing is, in contrast to prophecy, you know, the, the prophet says, thus saith the Lord. Uh, the teacher says, thus the Lord has said. Okay? Past tense versus present tense. Right? Um, exhortation. Uh, exhortation is um, 
the gift of stirring people up toward obedience. In other words, hey, you need to stop doing what you're doing and follow the Lord wholly. You need to do this. Come with me and we'll do it together even. Uh, that is exhortation. Uh, you know, it's when someone comes to you and they say, hey, I'm having a problem in my life here. What, you know, what do you think? And your immediate reaction is, well, what does God's word say about this? And they say, well, it says this. Okay, well, how come you're not doing that? <laughs> um, that's, an exhort, that's an exhorter. That's someone who is saying, uh, let us do this together. Come on. Okay. Um, contributing is, or is also called giving. Uh, it's blessing others financially or materially. Out of what God has given you, you have a desire to give and to share with other people. Uh, leadership is the, is the gift of being in charge in an effective and blessed way so that the church gets to the place where it needs to go. Uh, Paul says that leaders are to lead with zeal. And I take that to mean that leaders aren't to be lazy. And a lot of times it's easy, sometimes if you're in leadership, to kind of let things slide um, and to not give everything all the energy that it should have because there's really not that much that many people who are checking up on you to make sure that what needs to get done is getting done because you're the guy who's supposed to be checking up to make sure what needs to get done is getting done. And so he says, do it with zeal. Uh, be faithful. Uh, lazy leaders who never get anything uh, accomplished are kind of a contradiction in terms, right? If you're lazy, you can't lead. Uh, mercy is the special ability to minister to the sick, the infirm, uh, the elderly, the emotionally suffering, uh, people with other kinds of distress are uh, the people who you want around you when you're having a hard time, those are the merciful. And as I'm going through this list, I can think of people in our church that fit all these things. Uh, there are some women in this church, as an example, that are wonderfully merciful. That if you're sick and in a hospital, that, you know, you need to call Cindy Rosetto as an example. Okay? Because she will come and minister to you and encourage you. And that's the gift of mercy in operation. It is. Um, and it, and he, Paul says that, you, that if you have the gift of mercy, you need to do it with cheerfulness. That means, have you ever had somebody uh, do something for you, but they let you know while they're doing it that this is kind of a real challenge for them, and it's really, you know, I'll do it, but, you know, it's kind of a burden, and it is kind of out of my way to have to do that. And, um, you know, and you kind of have the attitude of, you know, look, I just assume you didn't do it at this point, um, rather than that you did so grudgingly, I really need your help. If you have the gift of mercy, serve with cheerfulness. Be happy as you go about what you're, what you're doing, even though um, sometimes the circumstances you're in don't give you a lot to be happy about. Um, now, what's the point of all this? The point of all this is real simple. Uh, that real worship of God consists to a significant degree in not only serving God, but serving Him by serving other people. And this is where, you know, as we've talked, 
and walked our way through our vision statement, and we've talked about things like being a loving community and about evangelism and about worship and about walking with Christ, and now we're talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, you know, we separate those uh, so that we can talk about them in a focused way, but they're not really separatable. They're not really separable. Uh, they are all interconnected. Uh, you can't uh, you can't really share Jesus with people and never walk daily with Him. And at least not effectively, you can't. Uh, you can't really worship God and not serve others. They're all interconnected. And I think, by the way, that this is something, serving with your spiritual gift is a real strength of Chillicothe Bible Church. On a percentage-wise basis, we have a huge number of people who are serving in multiple capacities. And so let me just give you a word of encouragement on that. I love the fact that there are so many servants in our church serving in all the various ways according to their gifts. Okay? Let me just also, along with that, give you a few words of exhortation. All right? Um, number one, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Um, are you a servant, a teacher, an exhorter, a giver? What are you? What's your role? Okay? Um, if you don't know, start serving somewhere that appeals to you, and if you're blessed in that, that's probably your gift. Number two, if you know what your gift is, are you using it? Are you using it? Are you putting it into practice? Because gifts are meant to be used, not just possessed, right? It's not like uh, where you get an American Girl doll, you know, and you put it on a shelf up here, okay, uh, where it's just possessed. It's not played with, you know, or you get an heirloom shotgun if you're uh, a man, you know, or, or whatever, okay, you get your uh, Holland and Holland Royal $50,000 double rifle, um, you know, where it's not meant to be used. It's meant to be displayed. Uh, gifts from God are meant to be used, not just, not just displayed, not just possessed. They're meant to be used. So are you using your gift? And if you are using your gift, great. A lot of you are using it, and that's great. Are you using it to the fullest extent? Because that's Paul's point. When he's talking about with zeal, in your teaching, in your service, in generosity, and with cheerfulness, use your gift to the fullest extent possible. And if you're not, you don't know what your gift is, you're not using it, you're not using it to the fullest extent, then why not? Why not? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father.